Awesome. If you've got your Bible, why don't you grab it out? We're going to read some and then preach a little bit. Is that okay? I just do. I really believe this. Tonight's a miracle night. And I don't know what you're facing in terms of challenges, but tonight's a miracle night. And in fact, every time we gather together as the church, you know, it's a miracle. God's doing a miracle. Every time, you know, when we gather together and pray, do you know what happens? Things are changed. Things are transformed. The Bible talks about the church. It uses this word. It doesn't use the word church. You know, the word church really came out of when they translated the Bible into German. And they used the word kirche to describe the ecclesia of God. And the kirche just means stone building which is sort of metaphysically, you could say, you know, we're living stones built into a spiritual house. But before that, it was just the word ecclesia, which means the called out ones. And you know, one of the inferences of that tone, the inferences of ecclesia, everyone say ecclesia. It's good to get a bit of Greek in at 5 p.m. on a Sunday night. Whoa. One of the inferences of that tone is that the church is like the council of God, the representatives of God on earth. And then when we gather together, like we did, and pray and reach out for miracles, I believe, I absolutely believe God does miracles. God sets us free. God works on our behalf when we stand together and declare it into the atmosphere. Just like the town council, if they decide that area is going to be for, for uh, industry, that's what's happening there. And as a church, when we say this area is set aside for the glory of God, that's what happens in the heavenlies. When we speak it here on earth, it shifts in the heavens. Amen. How many people are believing for miracles tonight? Come on, you know, you know, it's great being a part of a church. If, if church was just a great club, it would still be great. But you know what? It's even so much more than that. This is like a miracle space. It's not just us gathering together. We're gathering together in the sight of God and in the name of Jesus to see something great happen. Amen? Awesome. First of all, I just want to apologize that I'm not wearing my jacket while I speak. That's because dancing makes me very sweaty. Uh, and I also want to apologize that some of my lunch is displayed on my T-shirt. But it's just a sign of such a good, what a great lunch it was. Amen. Anyhow, anyhow, grab your Bible and jump to Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to read, these are famous verses from the Bible. These are the miracle verses from Ephesians chapter 3. Is that cool? You can take a break. This is keyboard player. You're doing an awesome job. Ephesians chapter 3 verse, why don't you give all your music team a huge hand. We appreciate you. We really appreciate you guys. Yeah, we understand. I hope you understand how much work goes into making a sound like that. It's a lot more than just tuning your guitar at the start of the day. There's a lot of work goes into it. And we appreciate it. All the work that you do, music team. You guys are awesome. We really thank God for you. You're a blessing in our lives. Amen. It says this in Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verse 14. This is some powerful poetry by the Apostle Paul. It says, When I think of the wisdom and the scope of God's plan, I fall to my knees and I pray to God the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources, He will give you mighty inner strength through the Holy Spirit. I pray that Christ will become more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in Him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love really is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's so great, you will never fully understand it. Then you will be, a, then you will be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. When I think of the scope and the wonder of God's plan, I fall to my knees, says the Apostle Paul. 
And he prays that our hearts will be filled with light, that our, the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that the, our, the, our, the roots of our life would sink deep into the love of God. You know, the roots of your life, you're grounded into something. You're connected into something. You're drawing life from something. And Paul's prayer is that our life would draw sustenance and security and strength from the love of God, from nowhere else, from the love of God, from the true realities of God. I love it that we get our strength and our security and our nourishment and our power, those roots of our life. It could, they, he could have prayed that they go down into the, to the theology of God or the knowledge of God. Or, or, or the strength of God. But do you know the, the most powerful thing about God? When you meet God, the first thing you meet is the love of God. Not the judgment of God, the love of God. I love the story of the prodigal son. The father was waiting at the front gate. And tonight, you know, if you're far away from God, do you know you're near to Him now? And do you know when you meet God, He's waiting for you. The love of God waits at the front gate. He's not waiting for you to get inside. He waits at the front gate and He runs towards us with his arms stretched out and embraces us. That's the story of my life. That whenever I've been in a place where I'm far away from God, I just turn my face to him and he runs at me. What a God we serve, amen? Anyway, when God begins working in our heart and our roots go down deep and our, 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 we have a, a knowledge of God's, the width of God's love and the depth of God's love and we begin to know the, 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 the vastness of God's love. And then this powerful thing happens that we experience God's love. So not something we've read about, not something, not something we've heard a pastor talk about or our e-group leader theorize about. But when the love of God becomes something that is part of our experience, because we never fully understand it, but we can fully experience it. I love the fact that I don't have to understand it all to experience it all in God. I don't have to be able to get my head around it for God to deliver it to me. And in fact, when God brings a miracle into our life, we'll never be able to get our head around it. And you know, in fact, the things that you can get your head around are just the things that you can do. The things that God wants to do are things you can't get your head around. If you're in a job, I want you to imagine what would it look like for God to do a work in your workplace that you can't get your head around. For God to do something in your city that we can't get, we can't get our head around, for something to happen in your family, in your extended family, so miraculous, so divine, that you could never have imagined it. You couldn't have brainstormed it on a whiteboard. You couldn't have thought of it on a spiritual retreat. It's beyond your comprehension. It's beyond anything you've heard before. It's not the same as John's testimony or Mary's testimony or Martha's testimony. It's not the same as anything you read in the Bible. It's a miracle beyond anything that Jesus did, a miracle beyond anything Elijah did, a miracle beyond anything you've ever thought of, heard of, imagined. That's the sort of thing that happens when our roots go down deep, then God begins to do beyond what we can see, beyond what we can imagine. This is what it says in the, in the uh, old school Amplified Bible. Once our roots go down deep, once our life begins to expand in the love of God, it says, now glory be to God. 
who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above, far over all that we could ask, think, or imagine, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, hopes, dreams, or desires. Now glory be to God, who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we would ask, think, or imagine. He can do infinitely beyond our highest prayers, not our lowest prayers, not not our middle-sized prayers. He's able to do infinitely beyond our highest prayers, our highest hopes, and our highest desires. I reckon tonight's a night for miracles. Tonight's a night where God begins going to begin a process. This is what I believe. Tonight's about God's going to begin a process in you. Where Christ will become more and more at home in your heart. More and more at home. You can see Jesus and sitting in your heart. His feet up on the coffee table. Changing the channel. Can you imagine Jesus, you know, when you get home from work, Jesus is already there. Oh, do you want a cup of tea? Do you have friends like that? We had friends when we were growing up and we would get home. You know, sometimes we get home from being on holiday and some of my friends would be in our house. <laughs> I grew up in a small, smallest town and we never locked doors or anything like that. It was a long time ago as well, but... But you know, when you get home, Jesus is already there. He's already in the space. He's already in our life. He's already inhabiting our hearts. Amen? Amen. Uh, I'm believing for miracles in, in my lifetime. Yeah, I really am. I'm believing for miracles in my lifetime that, uh, that, that match this passage of the Bible, which I can memorize in the Amplified Bible because it was on a poster on the toilet door when I was growing up. People are like, wow, he's really committed himself to memorization. Well, no, I've just been to the toilet a lot. <laughs> I really am. I'm believing for miracles like Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. I'm believing for those sort of miracles. I love the fact that God does all sorts of miracles, but I'd like to see God do some miracles that I can't imagine. I really would like to see God do some miracles beyond what I could comprehend, what I could get my head around. Now, see, I can get my head around a lot. I've got a vivid and effective and fertile imagination. I can imaginationize some pretty significant things happening. I can imagine the end of child abuse. I can imagine what New Zealand would look like when child abuse was no longer a statistic, but a phenomenon that shocked the nation rather than just another thing that happens on a daily basis. See, I can imagine the end of suicide. Not just teen suicide, but middle-aged suicide as well. Do you know there's nearly no suicide in New Zealand if you eliminate the teenage and young adult men and then the middle-aged men. Once, you get, once we sort those two groups of problem people out, there's nearly no suicide problem in New Zealand. I can imagine the end of suicide. I can imagine it. I can imagine God wants to do even more than that. I can imagine a transition in our nation where, which sees righteousness upheld as a standard. Where when we're debating things in, uh, in the parliament, it doesn't come down to what the budget says. It doesn't come down to what's possible in terms of fiscal responsibilities. Do you know the fact of the matter is this? If kids are hungry, why doesn't the government print some more money, buy some bread and feed them? Oh, because of inflation. I'm not scared of inflation. I'm scared that there's little kids without sandwiches. Do you know, I was, I was pumped. This is my favorite testimony recently. One year ago, about three weeks, three weeks and a year ago, Pastor Peter Brothers in Hawke's Bay is preaching away. He's doing his normal preachy, preachy, rah, 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 you know, pastors do, standing up by one of these and talking. <laughs> Theorizing and speculating and pondering and pontificating. 
And he, and he had this thought. He'd been reading in the newspaper. Another thing pastors do, because we have a lot of spare time. We don't have a proper job. So he's just reading the newspaper. Am I right, Penny? Lots of time for the newspaper. You go, if you're not, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong, sister. <laughs> this is not recorded, is it? Pastor Samson, London. So he's reading the newspaper and he read a story about a lot of hungry kids just in the primary school just down the road from their church in Hastings. And he just had this off-the-cuff off thought during his preaching. And he said, you know, in our church, we happen to own a commercial kitchen just over there. He points at it. It's there at the back of the building. We own a commercial kitchen. And then a couple hundred meters down the road, there's kids who are hungry. I wonder if we could do something about it. Is there somebody here who could do something about it? And he carried on with the rest of his sermon. During the sermon, God spoke to two women in the church. They come forward to Pastor Peter and said, hey, we're going to do something about it. He said, go for it. Two people, they could do something about it. So they had to get the kitchen re-registered and all that sort of stuff with the council. They had to get a bunch of food together. They got a bit of a roster going, you know, like people do. And in one year, they've, made, they've raised the money and the, they've gathered the food. They've got the team together and they've made and distributed 10,000 school lunches. How many kids are in that primary school? How hungry are those little mongrels? That's a lot of food. 10,000 school lunches. Do you know what? And on a Monday and a Friday, they do a hot lunch. Do you know, I reckon the, do you know what I reckon? I reckon Jesus could do something phenomenal. That said to me, 10,000 school lunches. Do you know what? I couldn't have imagined that. I could imagine 10,000 school lunches in a theoretical sense, but I couldn't imagine two ladies from the Hastings Church making, distributing, and funding 10,000 school lunches in one 12-month period. I wonder what other problems we could change in every community up and down this nation if we would allow the power of God to work within us, if we could allow our roots to go down deep in the love of God. I wonder what unimaginable things God wants to do in Christchurch City between now and 12 months from now. What's the equivalent of 10,000 school lunches that God wants to release through your life, not this church, through my life, not the leaders, through all of us as the body of Christ rising up. I don't know, I'm on a bit of a rant tonight. There's something in the air tonight that says, let's grab some miracles. Let's draw them down to earth. Let's see God do something phenomenal. Let's not wind out to the end of the year. Oh, well, it was nearly exam time. Oh, school will be finished soon. Just getting to Christmas. You know, oh, come on. God wants to work in every day of this, the rest of this year. God wants to work through your life every day for the rest of the year. He doesn't want to, he's, God's not waiting. God's not waiting for you to get ready. If he was waiting for you to get ready, God would have to put all of his plans on hold. He's not waiting for you to be holy. Why would he wait for you to be holy? He's used you already and you were holier now than you were then. He used you then. When look, about, look back at your life. How useless were you then? About the same as now, right? So why as well get going, right? We might as well engage with God and say, God, what can you do? I've got this vision in my heart. Imagine if every Christian in New Zealand, we could win the neighbors on the left-hand side and the neighbors on the right-hand side and the people across the road and the people behind us. I wonder if we could localize some of the prophecies of God. We call them in from the north and the south and the east and the west. You know, sometimes I've prayed, stood in my living room and prayed that prayer without thinking of the neighbors. I'm thinking of people in, 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 in Europe and Antarctica. I'm thinking of people in South America and Africa. The reality is there's people at number 76 and there's people at number 78. No, we are 78. There's people at number 80, right? Whew, counting in twos, right on the edge of my abilities, as you can see there. But come on, 
I read this thing in Fairfax uh, on, like, you know, the Fairfax local paper. We get this little local paper. In fact, we get hundreds of copies because Elliot's supposed to deliver them around the neighborhood. <laughs> uh, so as a consequence, we get lots of copies to read. And, uh, and I was looking at this little ad in there, advertising for advertising. I love those ads, advertising for advertising. Imagine if they were advertising for people selling advertising to go in some advertising. But anyway, it's that. And uh, it's like the Matrix, once you step in there, do you know what I mean? Like, is the thing still spinning? Uh, that's not the Matrix, but anyhow. <laughs> I'm mixing my movies up. And it just said this, it said, the more, the more local we get, because they're advertising for advertising in their local paper, the more local we get, the bigger we get. Do you know, could God reach all of Christchurch? Yes, he could. If, if I reach my neighbors, God could reach all of Wellington. If you reach your neighbors, God could reach all of Christchurch. The more local we get, the, more, the bigger we get. If we could see God do a miracle in our heart, he might then begin to do miracles through our life. Do you know, God wants to transform your heart tonight. God wants to transform Christchurch, and so he's gonna do it by transforming your heart. Do you know, uh, we've got the election coming up. And I, you know, I personally, I'm supporting Bill English because he's the only prime option of prime ministers who are people who pray. He prays, he goes like this before he prays, but he still prays. <laughs> he prays to Mary, but he prays to Jesus also. And I just think, well, I don't know about policies or politics. I don't even care. But if the prime minister's praying, I, you know, if the prime minister's praying, I'm happier than if the prime minister's not. And, uh, you know, one of the first things Bill English did when he became Prime Minister, and I happen to know this because I've got friends in government, is that he, 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 he flew his siblings and his first cousins to Wellington from all over wherever they lived. All of his siblings and first cousins. Again, because he prays like this, a lot of first cousins and siblings. <laughs> Something about doing that makes it happen. Hey, there's some, I don't know how it works, but they have a lot of children, those Catholics, but... And, um, and he gathered them together and he said, this is the toughest job I've ever had and will ever have. I need you to pray for me every single day. Pray that I'd have wisdom. Pray that God would do something great in our nation. I think, wow, awesome. Fiscal whatever, I don't know, but I, I like that guy. I like the fact that he's got his brothers and sisters praying. He's got his 27,000 cousins praying. I reckon that is a good thing. Amen? Don't talk to me afterwards about politics. Oh, that's, I won't agree with you, so let's move on. But whoever gets elected, you know, the solutions aren't happening. The solutions aren't happening in parliament buildings. The solution in New Zealand isn't happening, isn't it happening around a policy table. I pray that, God, that people God's called there are going to do the job that God's called them to do in those spaces. But the solutions for New Zealand are happening here tonight. This is the, this is, these are the moments that transform our nation. These are the moments that set us free. These are moments that turn history around. Jump with me in the Bible to the, the next most important chapter 3, verse 20 in the Bible. I've committed myself tonight to only preach from scriptures that the chapter three and verse twenty. <laughs> yeah. So we'll go straight to Revelation, which is the last of such scriptures. It says this in Revelation chapter three, verse twenty. Look, or oh, the old verses, behold. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If you hear me calling. Open the door. Now this is, I don't know why Jesus is explaining this because this is pretty standard procedure. <laughs> why is he saying that? 
Look, look, look. I'm standing at the door knocking. Why, why is he calling our attention to the fact that he's already calling our attention? <laughs> look, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear me calling, so he's knocking and he's calling. Hello. Hello. Or my aunties used to say, yoo-hoo, as they walked through the door. Uh, and mom be like, what are you doing? You know. <laughs> yoo-hoo. Did anyone have an auntie who used to say that? Yoo-hoo. Cup of tea. Ah. Uh, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. He's, yoo-hoo. The big wind to blow out, you know. <laughs> Behold, I, look, look at me. Jesus, look, 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 at I'm standing at the door and knocking and I'm calling. Hello. And he says, if you hear me calling, if you hear me calling out, open the door and I'll come in. Again, pretty standard procedure. Open the door. I'll come in. Do you know... Do you know the people, when you, you know when you open the door and the people don't come in? Do you know what? They're selling you power. Do you know, oh, they're trying to, one lady came to our door and was selling fine art. I'm like, what? I'm like, we live at the very end of Wellington. Beyond us, it's just the scrub of the southern hills, right? Like, the, the, you know, drive to the end of Wellington, that's our house. A lonely house on a hill. This woman walks up with 27 canvases or thing a thing opens them up and said, are you interested in fine art? And she had these paintings that she'd done. I was like, I'm like, man, I'm just eating my dinner, man. <laughs> I'm not normally rude, but when I'm eating food, yeah, it's about priorities. But, you know, Jesus, he calls out, look, I'm standing at the door, I'm knocking. And if you open the door, I'll come in. Why will he come in? Because he's not here to sell you anything. He's not here to make a demand of you. He's just coming in to eat food with you, not from you. He's not taking from you. Jesus never takes from you. He eats food with you. He wants us to fellowship with you. Do you know, right now, tonight, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart. He's knocking. At the, at the entrance to your life, God is knocking. He's not just knocking. He's calling. Jesus is like, yoo-hoo. Open the door, open the door, open the door, open the door. I'm going to come in. I'm hungry. I need some food. I want to hang out with you. The game's about to start. The game's about to kick off. Open the door, open the door, open the door. Right? You know, when I was growing up, we had this, this family in church. And I grew up in the era where people used to pop around. Uh, we don't do it anymore, thank the Lord. No one pops around to my house anymore. I can I wander around in my underpants. Because no one's going to pop around. Again, we live at the end of the quarry. Uh, quarry. No one's going past, right? Unless you're going overland and then swimming the Cook Strait. You're not coming past my house. But we had this family who used to pop around, you know, just popping. They just popping, and uh, they were awesome fun. I, they were my favorite. This guy, Uncle Rog, there's not enough Rogers around anymore, eh? The generation before me, every third person was called Roger. It's not a big, it's not a big time name anymore. But Rog, Uncle Rog, it's a great abbreviation of a name as well, eh? Rog. Anyway, Rog, Uncle Rog used to come around. He was mad. You know, you have an uncle like who's just mad. Who's just crazy, you know, kids would get thrown around the room and everyone would be laughing and having a good time except the parents who then had to put the children to bed after Uncle Rog left. And I can remember when we were kids, Uncle Rog and uh, Auntie Anne would drive up the driveway and I can remember mum saying, quick, everybody hide. Uh, we'd run around the house and someone would dive behind a sofa and I'd stand, I was skinny then, stand behind the coat rack. Do you know what I mean? And Uncle Rog and Auntie Anne would knock on the door. Knock, 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 knock. Knock, knock, knock. And mum's like, nobody say anything. If you make any noise, I'll kill you all. But we do that to Jesus a bit. Oh, man, if Jesus comes in. Oh, I like Jesus, you know, but most of us like the front porch Jesus. 
You know, we like Jesus. Jesus is awesome on the front porch of our life. You know, every, every Christian, every person loves a front porch Jesus. Man, all the neighbors are impressed by him as they drive past. Wow, there's Jesus is visiting Jordan's house. He seems to always be visiting. Every time I drive past, he's standing on the front porch. He looks a bit wet. It's cold and cold. <laughs> but yeah, Jesus is always there. You know, it's great having a front porch Jesus because he keeps, you know, he protects the house. You know, we all want a front porch Jesus who's going to protect us from calamities and plagues and pestilence. We all want a front porch Jesus who's going to keep the robbers and the baddies out. But a front porch Jesus is not the only Jesus you can have in your life. Do you know He's more than a front porch Jesus? Do you know why He's a good front porch Jesus? He will protect you. He will keep the baddies out. But do you know, if you open the door, He'll come in. But as soon as you do, you've got a problem on your hands. Because Jesus won't just stay in the hallway once you open the door. At the front porch, Jesus, we see Him on the way in and we see Him on the way out. You know, we, we can, He can come with us to work. Come on, Jesus, come with me to work. And then we come home, we say, just wait there, Jesus. <laughs> but once He comes in, He doesn't like to just stay in the hallway. He moves from the hallway into the, into the blooming dining room and He's sitting there. And then you start to realize, oh man, dining room Jesus is quite cool. It's quite, quite good to have a relationship with this guy. Over meals, you can talk about the challenges that you face in life. You can, you can begin to ask God to move. You can begin to ask God to provide. You know, he's a, do you know Jesus is an awesome dining room guest. Especially because like if the, all you've got to eat is like a little bit of bread, a couple of sardines. You're like, man, I'll get, let's get Jesus out of the hallway into the dining room. Let's have ourselves a feast, you know, and, uh, have the 12 baskets full. And you know, Jesus is awesome because once Jesus is in your life, He does begin to provide for you. Instead of just protecting you in a distant sort of sense, He's now providing for your intimate needs in the dining room of your heart. But after dinner, He likes to go into the living room and He takes over the remote control. King of kings, Lord of lords. He takes liberties like that. The thing about Jesus, He starts to, he starts to talk to you about what you're watching on the telly. Why are, you watch, why are you watching this crap? That's what my dad used to say every time we go home. Why are you watching that crap? Snatch, he'd snatch the remote out of our hands. <laughs> and, uh, he wanders down the hallway, pokes his nose in the bedroom. You know, Jesus knows what goes on in the bedroom. He knows what's happening in the parts of our life that no one else knows is happening in the intimate places of our heart come the tonight's a night of miracles but it begins by opening the door and then it then it begins by saying Jesus come on is there other parts of my life that you're interested in because maybe just maybe if, if our life could begin to be centered in and strengthened in the love of Jesus if we could understand that Jesus loves us from the front porch and then he still loves us in the hallway even though there's lots of Lego on the floor and He loves us in the kitchen even though we haven't done all the dishes from the morning. And He loves us in the dining room even though we burnt the toast. And He loves us in the bedroom even though we mess up. The thing I've noticed about Jesus in, in my life, that He's moved throughout my whole life. Jesus cares about the things I do for entertainment. Jesus cares about the friends, other friends I have in my heart. He cares about the other gods that live in there as well, the things that I hold and enshrine in my heart. But you know, there comes a time in our lives where Jesus is poking around, you know, just being a nosy. 
And he, he walks past the doorway, you know, down under the stairs, there's that cupboard. I don't know where it is in your actual house, but every, every house I've been in has got a cupboard and a drawer. Usually there's a drawer in the kitchen somewhere where, you know, where angels fear to tread. The only other place like it, there's the, there's the, in our house when I was growing up, was the bottom drawer in the kitchen. Do you know what I mean? Who knows who was left in there? You know, the bottom drawer of the kitchen. You could pull a giraffe out of there and I wouldn't have been surprised. The cupboard under the stairs, just where, you know, stuff gets put. Oh, we've got guests. Gather up all the stuff. Open up the door. Push all the stuff in there with all the other stuff that we put in there last time we had guests. Shut the door. And then every time Jesus comes around, we gather up all the junk. I'll just wait there, Jesus. Just wait in the hallway for a second. Get down, Grandma. (laughs) Hey, Jesus, come on in. Jesus, come on in. Grab a seat. Hang out, hang out. And Jesus comes around the next day. We're like, oh, all the junk jamming and then there's this day in my life where Jesus just pointed at the door and he goes what's in there and why is it poking out the door because <laughs> see there's a day in your life where you can't shut the bottom drawer anymore Joe, women there is a day in your life where you can't fit another thing into your handbag There will be this, do you know, in your emotional world, there'll come a day where you can't jam anything else in the cupboard where no one can see. And people will start to see. And do you know what the best thing we could do is just say, Jesus, well, could you help me with, have you ever had to tidy, tidy up my garage after 10 years or something? <laughs> someone's, like, someone's like, you better do that. Do you know what? Because you've been jamming stuff under the cupboard, in the cupboard under the stairs, because you've been doing that your whole life. What did your parents used to say? Oh, cheer up. Oh, cheering up. That's great advice, eh? Oh, cheer up. Pull yourself together. Anyone been pulling yourself together for too long? Right? Pull, cheer up. Pull yourself together. Stop being such a baby. Because you've been jamming stuff there all your life. And the reason you don't like to look at it is because you've got no ability to fix it now. (laughs) Possibly when you were clearing out the lounge the first time, you could have just put those things away. But because you've been clearing out the lounge and jamming it under the stairs a thousand times, because it's just... But you know what God does? Jesus just opens the door and He just pulls out one thing and He goes, what's this? And you're like, oh, Jesus, I'm so embarrassed about everything else. And Jesus is just like, oh, no, let's talk about, just talk about this. What's this broken thing? Why have you still got this? And Jesus is like, I'll tell you what, I'll put it in the bin for you. Jesus puts it in the bin. Because the bin's overflowing as well, he ties it up the bag. He wanders outside. Oh, hey, guys. He wanders outside. There's actually people behind here. I hope you know that. They're not paying attention either. They're just uh, jazz, jazzing around. Hey, they got cold drinks and fizz and chips. No. Anyway, back to the drama. Ties up the bag. 
wanders outside, down the street. And he's gone for a bit. And then he comes back in. Next Sunday or next time you're at Shout, or next time you're in devotions, just walks through the cupboard under the stairs and he goes, what's this one? And you say, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry about all that mess. I'm so gutted. I'm so ashamed of all that stuff. And Jesus like, yeah, yeah, all good. What's this? Oh, I'll, I'll put it in the bin. And he goes, oh, thanks, Jesus, for putting my stuff in the bin. He puts it in the bag. The bag's overflowing with stuff from the day anyway. So he ties that up too. He winds off and disappears for a bit. Every Sunday, Every morning you need to do your devotions and you light a little candle and look out the window. You sit back in the armchair, your special praying chair. Instead of praying, you just do this. You know, know, sometimes, you know, the biggest things God's ever done in my life, you know, all I had to do was fall over. One time I fell over and God really changed some things in my heart. It's pretty hard work. I just had to lie there. Sometimes when I'm driving my car, I suddenly realize that, oh, yeah, okay, God, I'll, you could deal with that too. Just, I'm just driving my car. Just reading my Bible. Just listening to a sermon. Just talking to friends at e-group. God's just like, oh, what's this? Oh, I'm so sorry about all the mess, God. I'm so, oh, I'm so ashamed. And we're trying to shut the door. And Jesus like, no, no, no. Don't worry, don't worry about it. Because once we invite him in here, our roots go down deep and we begin to experience His love. Do you know the thing that's going to make you experience God's love? It's when He pulls that abuse out of the cupboard and He goes, let's get rid of this. When He pulls out the shame out of the cupboard, He goes, let's put this away. He pulls all those failings out and He just says, come on, let's deal with these things. You know, tonight's a night of miracles and this room is full of the people who are going to transform this city. And it all happens when we just say, Jesus, I can hear you knocking. Jesus, I can hear you calling. Yoo-hoo! Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Come out of the hallway, Lord Jesus. Come and make your home more and more in my heart. Come on, let's close our eyes and bow our heads and pray. Jesus, we thank you for your awesome presence. Lord, we thank you for your love. Lord, I thank you that, God, you are love. Lord, and in you there's no shadow or turning, no shifting, no changing. You love us and you always have loved us. Lord, I thank you that your unchanging plan has always been to accept us into the beloved, to draw us into your family. And right now, in Jesus' name, I break the power of shame to leave us trapped and alone. Lord, to leave us hurting and broken. And Lord, I call in the miracles of transformation into this room tonight. That This is a house of miracles. This is a house of transformation. This is a house of power. This is a church that's gonna transform a city, Lord God, because we've been transformed by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Lord, we invite you into our world. We invite you into our heart. Perhaps you're here and you've never made a decision. You've never actually acknowledged the fact that Jesus Christ is King of Kings, He's Lord of Lords. He's the Son of God who died in our place. When I was 13, I was at a, at a Christian camp and the guy speaking preached this message that I just preached tonight. And I can remember he invited us to come forward and to pick up just a, like a stick and put it on the bonfire. It was the big bonfire night at the Christian camp. And I can remember I was 13 and I was 
super insecure like most 13 year olds but even more so because I was a really weird 13 year old and I can remember picking up the stick and saying I'm going to burn up my old life I'm going to trust in you Jesus and I was inviting Jesus into my heart and from the moment I did that at 13 years old Jesus has just been poking around in my life setting me free from all sorts of stuff 